You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast and today on the show I am joined by Tammy Peterson. Today on the show Tammy and I discuss her battle with being diagnosed with terminal cancer, the way that she opened the door for miracles to happen, her relationship and love story with her husband Jordan Peterson and what relationship advice she can now give from lessons learned, and so, so much more. This was an incredibly valuable conversation and one that I am proud to bring to you today. So please enjoy this conversation with Tammy Peterson. So joining me on the podcast today is the amazing Tammy Peterson. Tammy Welcome to the Freedom Pack podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm all excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you here. I'd love to start this conversation with just a quote I found uh, from you online. And that said, my life isn't about me. This is about the service I give to the people around me. That's what life is for. And that is what my life is for. When did you come to this realization And how has it changed your daily life now going forward? It came to my life pretty late in life because I'm 60 years old. And I wish I would have had this insight years and years ago. And I'm sure I may have had that if I would have been more involved in the practice of of religion, studying the Bible, I would have figured that out. But needless to say, this is when it happened. So I was... 57 years old. Uh, I'd traveled around the world with my husband on a book tour for a couple of years. And uh, I had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I was told it was not a terrible cancer, that no one dies from this cancer, that I could have the surgery whenever I was ready. And so we didn't really put it off very long. But when we did come home and I had the um, surgery, which was to take out a partial of my left kidney. Um, They did a biopsy and found out that that wasn't what I had at all. And uh, they re-diagnosed me with a Bellini tumor, which uh, is a very, very, very aggressive tumor. And I went to two different hospitals in the States, one in San Francisco and MD Anderson in Houston. And they said, there's nothing we can do. This is a a very aggressive cancer. You can have surgery and uh, hopefully that will solve your problems because they had scanned it and it had gone into my lymph node, uh, one lymph node. And uh, so I went back to Toronto. They said, the specialists there are as good as the specialists anywhere. Just go home and have your surgery. So the night before the surgery... Jordan and I were terrified, out of our skulls. 
I could tell that we weren't present at all, that, you know, we were uh, somewhere, somewhere, but it wasn't where we were. Mm. And I had, uh, I had done a meditation in my 20s when I had a, a, an interesting fellow I was working with. He was a massage therapist, but he was a very creative artist and he taught me a meditation once when I had a diagnosis again of uh, something that might have been a tumor. It wasn't, but something that might have been a tumor in my abdomen. And he showed me how to breathe and visualize and go down to where my problems were and address them, or at least try to communicate with myself and what was going on with myself. And I found that that was quite useful back then. So I thought we would try that again. And it gave Jordan uh, a job. He was going to sit at my feet and he was going to move his hands like this up and down the arch of my foot on both feet while I was breathing in white light. But I decided gold light was cancer needed gold light. So I was bringing everything I had to it. And I was breathing in gold light down to my kidney to where the cancer was and asking what it was doing there. And this took about two hours of this. And I was talking to Jordan and tell him, telling him what he, I was doing. Um, I went down there and I saw the cancer was there. It was like black cells that were turned away from me and not paying any attention to what I was saying or what I wanted, no communication left at all. And I, in a short, you know, truncated uh, conversation about this, I'll just say that I decided that it was too much for me. It was too much for anyone, that cancer is too much. And it has to be something that's shared with the universe. And so at that time, I saw a black smoke come up from me and I was calm and we went to sleep and we went into surgery the next day and I felt calm and at peace with what I'd done the night before. It felt like I had had a communication and the surgeons told me that they did the surgery and everything came out. There was nothing, you know, the kidney wasn't adhered to the spleen. There was nothing troublesome. Everything just came out the way it needed to. But you asked what I, when I came to this realization, it was between the time I had that first surgery and the second surgery. So when I was diagnosed with the terminal illness, I thought, well, I'm 57 years old and uh, I've had relatives who've died from lung cancer, asbestos, uh, asbestos killed my aunt and my uncle, two uncles. And um, like my uncle, when he was in his 20s, worked in asbestos uh, construction with asbestos. And she washed his clothes. And her little brother lived with them. And they all died of lung cancer from asbestos. That's how, that's how horrible that stuff is. So stay away from it. But... I thought, okay, well, maybe I have that same. My grandfather also died at 54. So, you know, I thought, okay, I'm one of 
this is that line of genetics that I have. And I accepted it. But then I went home to speak with my son and tell him what the prognosis was. And, um, and I think it was a combination of the two years of traveling with Jordan and listening to him talk about um, the Bible. I was there for his whole Bible series when he talked about Genesis. And so I had spent, a, you know, I think I went to 150 lectures. It was, it was intense. And I went and sat in the audience. I was at every lecture. Really, I was scrutinizing if that lecture was better than the last one, you know, that's what I was there. I didn't know what I was doing there. I was listening. And um, so for some reason at that moment, when I talked to my son and his wife, and I saw the uh, pain on their faces and the grief on their faces, uh, something woke up inside me and told me that, there was another way to think about this. And then I had a better insight on why people will go through heroic measures to save their own lives, you know, through surgery and chemotherapy and radiation and, you know, all the other things that you can think of to save their lives. I realized, oh, this isn't to save my life. This, it is to save my life, but it's to save my life, not for me necessarily. Although it would be to, to save the divine side of me, yes, you know. So to save whatever it is that I can do in the world, yes, it's to save that part of me. But that part of me is essentially in service. As we all are, we are in service to ourselves and, on, and in service to uh, the rest of, of uh, our community. How does your faith look now as opposed to prior to your illness? Well, I pray the rosary every morning. Uh, on the odd morning, I don't if something else comes up. But sometimes I'll just pray later in the day. And um, I, uh, I received a rosary from my cousin after she found out I'd been ill. And it had been my great-grandmother's rosary. She was... Um, Polish and uh, Catholic, uh, we changed our religion. My grandmother changed our religion to Protestant. But I can see that for myself, I was raised Protestant and that never stuck with me. I never continued to go to church. I left it. Uh, Catholicism has more dogma and it has more routine. It has more ritual. And I find that for me, I need a harder hit of religion to um, make a, uh, an impact on who I am and what I, you know, I have, I, have, I have a lot of ingrained ways of thinking. And it takes pretty constant prayer and reflection to see my way past some of those old ways of thinking to a new way of thinking that would be better i've got a quote to you i i, I heard you say on a, a another podcast I, I listened to you on and you said i'm not trying to be the person in control i'm opening the door for miracles to happen i wonder if you could just expand on that for us okay so uh in my um conversations with other people and my daily life 
uh, w with my family and whoever else is there, whatever, you know, whatever happens, whatever happens is um, in nature. I mean, just everything. I want to be as present as I can in the moment to see what is there. And Edward Tolley said, you know, that God is in between uh, the words, he's in the breath. And at first I didn't understand what that meant. But now I realize that it's a, it's a function of uh, being humble, uh, stepping back from being the person who's, uh, who's pulling everybody else along. I had a very interesting mushroom trip that kind of describes this. So um, I was the first part of the mushroom trip. I was, and this had been after the world tour. So I'd been in contact with lots and lots of people and thought about what my purpose was with all of these people and never really got an answer during the tour. But I, I, I did this, uh, took these mushrooms. And uh, first of all, I saw DNA and I was spending my time going through people's DNAs and it wasn't individuals DNAs it was different races of people and trying to find trying to purify purify everyone's DNA and then I found myself with these races of people and I, I was pulling them all towards the light in in and then I realized in the, in the moment that that's too much for one person <laughs> that was obvious but i did get that sense that it was too much for one person that it wasn't me who was in control and so i guess that's what that mushroom trip was telling me broadly was it wasn't me in control and then after my uh, cancer was gone and i had recovered from all the all the um trouble that i had afterwards one of my friends who had visited me in the hospital asked me if I wanted to go to an Al-Anon meeting. And I thought I would go with her wherever she wanted because she was a very lovely person. And so I said that I would go not, I mean, I'd heard of AA, I'd heard of Al-Anon, but I really didn't, I had never spent any time investigating it. I didn't know what it was about. Uh, I just knew that it helped people straighten out their lives if they took it seriously. So I showed up, and this was when they were in-person meetings, and there was a person at the door, a greeter, who was very friendly and welcoming, and everyone f sat in a circle, and no one was leading the, there was probably 25 people in the room, and although different people spoke at different times, no one seemed to be in control, and uh, I felt that the pe things people were saying in there really had something to do with the way I thought as well. So I went back. Uh, they told you to go six times. I went six times and decided that I would learn everything I could there. And I did learn that I had a, um, a habit of when I felt that things were uncertain that I would control them and that that would make it more likely that things would work out. But I learned, in fact, that the only thing I could control was myself and that I had to leave the rest to God. And so I, I, I learned it in different places, but Al-Anon was another place that I learned that message. So, so it seemed pretty obvious. I learned it through a mushroom trip. I learned it when I went to Al-Anon. And 
the rosary that I'm learning now is the most mysterious uh, part of it, the most difficult for me to understand. And so I have to, that's where I want to do most of my investigation now is to understand better what all of those biblical stories mean. And then I can apply them to my daily life and understand more deeply uh, how I can navigate the world and see miracles. Because when I'm not in control, when I'm waiting to see what happens, when I'm not sure what should happen, it becomes obvious if I pause and I wait. And that's uh, surprising to someone who used to always try to control and fix things. It seems as though you have a quite strong grasp on your own personal meaning and your own purpose. But what would you say to people out there now who feel as though their life uh, has little meaning or they don't know what their purpose is, those who feel lost? What would you say to those people? Well, first of all, I think people think they're alone. Uh, we're not alone. None of us are alone. Once, once you have a relationship with God, you find that that is a constant companion. But in the meantime, before you have that, when you're lost, then you can look to your community, whoever they may be, and you can find the divinity in those people if you are humble enough to listen. And it's really hard if you're lost and you're frustrated and you've become resentful and that's a really bad one, then it's very difficult to listen and to trust, you know? And so all of these, all of these things are necessary. I was reading uh, recently, the Oxford group was a group that AA came from. Uh, the Oxford group was religious. And when AA turned away from organized religion because they wanted atheists to be able to uh, come and benefit from the group, I was reading in the Oxford group, and there's something called the four absolutes. And the four absolutes are something that you can think about and realize if what you're saying is something that's in line with a higher purpose or is uh, steeped in self-will. And when you're steeped in self-will, then it's much more difficult to see any miracles. It's much more difficult to be... Uh, in a place that's going to show you that things can be better. And so uh, I'll just find the, I'll just find the four absolutes so that I Please. can tell you them. And so there's four of them. The first one is honesty. Is it true or is it false? So when you're speaking and it's not going very well and the person you're speaking to is getting more angry then you have to think, okay, is what I'm saying, is it honest? You know, is it true or is it false? Second one, is it unselfish? How will this affect another fellow? Is it, is it pure? Is it right or is it wrong? And is it love? Is it un ugly or is it beautiful? And so those are the four absolutes. And I find with me mostly when I say something that hits the wrong way on my husband, it's because I've been selfish. And, you know, 
it's hard to say. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I've been listening to my daughter's podcast and she, she um, interviews all kinds of people that are uh, trying to make their, their life better. And I was listening to someone and he was talking about, you know, cold jumps in cold water and how that's beneficial for depression or anxiety. And so my husband wasn't feeling very as well as he has been, and he's been feeling pretty good over the last month, but the other night he was starting to have some symptoms and it was worrying him and he thought he'd go for a sauna. And I said, uh, and how about you go jump in the lake afterwards? And the lake's getting pretty cold, you know, it's nearly October, but it's, it's refreshing. And, uh, and he said, no, but he, the way he said no was not a relaxed. No, it was a anxious. No, which I can misunderstand as an aggressive. No. And then, uh, for whatever reason, it scares me. And instead of saying, oh, that scared me, I will say again what I said. Well, maybe just a, a really, maybe just dip in the water. And then he said no again. And I'm like, well, I've read that it's, in, it, you know, no is what he's trying to say. And so we, he left and I thought, what did I do wrong? I definitely did something wrong. So I read those four. And I got to, how did this affect another person? Well, it didn't sit well with him. So what I, what I said maybe was selfish. Oh, okay. So if it was selfish, why would it be selfish? Why would I be needing my uh, understanding of something to be understood by someone else? I was coming from a place of fear, but I wasn't letting... I wasn't communicating that he wasn't communicating his fear and I wasn't communicating my fear. So we went for a walk in the morning and we talked about that and we talked about these four absolutes and made, a, and made an effort to agree that it would be better if we could recognize our own feelings to express our own feelings rather than trying to hide behind anger, uh, intellect, whatever it is that you're trying to hide behind to, to admit that you're in a place that's making you uncomfortable is a lot easier for the person you're with. And then there's communication. And if there's communicate truthful communication, then you're actually with someone else and you're not alone anymore. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're the one who, who's trying to control it, you're alone. And it makes you more and more and more alone the more you try to be the one who's running the show. Yeah. Amazing. If we're switching gears then, you mentioned communication there with your partner. Um, so one thing I'd love to dive into in terms of relationships, what have you found to be the most effective tool or effective approach to conflict resolution? Okay. Hmm. Well, I think the best thing to do is you're, you have a conflict to leave each other, to leave each other and uh, go into a different room. And think about what you may have brought to the conversation. But now I have this, these four questions, which are really helpful because sometimes it's difficult to look at yourself and see 
what you've done, if you've brought anything. And so that is helpful if you're already in the conflict, right? If you're already in the conflict and then you have to go, then you, you have to go back uh, with, um, if you can't go back into the communication from a place of uh, trying to understand what, what went on and make things peaceful again, then you're not ready to go back into the situation. So there's no sense walking back in and still trying to make your point. You've already done that. It didn't work. So that's not going to work. So then you go back again and you sit. And I'll give you another example of something that happened last night. Okay, so we were going to have a nice evening together. Uh, we had a fireplace. Uh, we had uh, music, usually mo like from the 30s and the 20s. <laughs> we like that old music. And um, we're planning on maybe going, uh, we're going to go to England, actually. We're going to go to uh, England. I can't tell you any more about that because I don't think it's public, but we're going to go there. And then afterwards, my daughter said, oh, well, she'd like to also take another trip somewhere else for about five days after that with us, which is a very nice thing that she's invited us. But I have an appointment with a nephrologist the beginning of December, and it wouldn't get in the way of that, but it would get in the way of the blood test that I have to have two weeks before that and the way it was organized we were going to come back and it was going to give me that two weeks and I had it all settled but then right before we had this meeting this date that we were having last night he told me that my husband told me that we were going to possibly extend our trip for five days and that brought up the fact that I'd had cancer that it brought up that whole past because I was going to have to figure out how to have a blood test. And so I came out into the living room and I looked at the fire and I told him that I was trying to uh, give whatever I was troubled with to God. And he listened. He was kind of impatient. You know, he wanted me to move on and, and just be present. But I said that I was having some trouble being present that there was something on my mind, but I wasn't quite sure what was on my mind. I knew I was, I knew I was, uh, I had a problem with the decision to extend the trip. And I knew it had something to do with that. I had a nephrology appointment and then that brought up, oh, I have another CT scan that has to be scheduled. Is that going to be also in trouble when in January we go on a trip? So all of a sudden this whole complex of trouble came up but I knew it. So I at least told him, I said, I'm, I'm thinking about these things and I don't know what to do about them. Mm -hmm. So I admitted my discomfort. And after not a very long time, he started to talk to me about, and he said, let's separate these two things. One is a blood test and one is a CT scan and they're different times. We'll just separate those two out. So we simplified it. And then we talked about the nephrology, well, that's a phone call because nobody goes to the doctor anymore until, you know, unless they have to. So that's, I can do that anywhere. But the blood test, I have to have that done. He said, oh, well, we could do that in England. We could find a place. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want, I, oh, we were simplifying, we were simplifying the conversation. And 
with my with my um, attention turning to God and asking God for help that this is too much for me. Uh, I often pray for courage and strength. Those are the things I, I seem to need uh, for in order to go through stressful situations. Like when my husband was in the hospital, before I went into the hospital, uh, I actually called a friend and we spoke and I said that I needed to ask God for courage and strength and told her, which seems to help because of the divinity in each of us you can speak to another person and find some divine help. So as long as this person knows how to listen, if this person is willing to listen, then you can tell them what's on your mind. And that communication somehow with another person, with your attention to God, yourself and another person, there's something about that that and maybe i'll learn more about what that is but it is golden it really sets you up for a better uh, communication so that's what happened last night it was like oh, okay we'll simplify this uh i'll it's it's only a blood test it's not going to get in the way of the nephrology appointment the blood test can be Maybe the blood test can be done before we even leave for England. Why does it only have to be two weeks before the appointment? Maybe it can be three weeks before the appointment. I don't know all of this stuff. So, so looking at options, looking at more options then uh, gave me room and I was able to let it go. And then the evening went on. So that that's not exactly uh, a dispute between two people, but that kind of... Uh, tension if I wasn't communicating with Jordan he wouldn't know what happened here I was I was we had agreed that we would come together and spend an evening together and now I was being standoffish like what's you know so it could have really gone in a in a direction that would have just uh, made the whole evening end at that point yeah Pulling on that thread then of, of relationships, um, obviously you and your, your husband Jordan have had a long relationship. You've been through a lot together. I've heard Jordan on podcasts and interviews be brought to tears when talking about your relationship and, and the love that you have. What do you think the core principles of a happy and healthy relationship are? Well, when Jordan first asked me to marry him, uh, he told me that if we didn't tell the truth, our relationship couldn't work. Mm -hmm. And so that was going to be, and that was when he was 25, something like that. Uh, and um, so that was the first thing that we were to tell the truth. And I hadn't really understood what that meant. I first took that to mean, my truth in what the truth in in my relationships what i'm uh where my goals are to make sure that that was all truthful mm. um so that was the first so honesty honesty was paramount and he still talks 
about that as being very, very important. And so that is what got us started and really took us through. The, uh, the other thing was that not we, we didn't let, we didn't, if there was a problem, we didn't just let it go. It might have taken three days <laughs> in the beginning to uncover what was happening because uh, we both were pretty strong-headed and probably didn't really want to admit that we had done anything to cause the trouble. So in the early days, but we, we didn't give up on it. Uh, he was very good at even though he doesn't like conflict, he's a very soft-hearted, very compassionate person, as you can tell uh, through his public image. He's a very compassionate person, um, but he would, and knowing that this would be uncomfortable, he would still insist that we talk about it until we understood it, and that was really good. We got through a lot of trouble by perseverance and you know at the end of every mystery in the rosary you pretty much pray for perseverance it, it's all about trying again and getting up and trying again and getting up and trying again no matter what logic reason mathematics would probably suggest to us that there's no such thing as the one but I think everyone in relationships, they like to think there's a one. They like to, they want to find their one. And I think taking that logic and mathematic hat off, I like to believe in the one. So how did you know that your husband was the one? Um, well, we were very close friends. Hmm. We enjoyed each other's company when we were kids. I thought he was, he was, smart back then he was fascinating to be around he had different ways of looking at things and and dissecting problems and you know when we were really little we played with a chemistry set you know we liked that and he really liked that and I got to be a part of that he taught me how to play chess when I was a little kid that was really great and I was five years younger than my siblings so I didn't really grow up with my family I grew up with my friends and he was one of the friends that I grew up with and I never got tired of being with him. And then when I left home when I was 18 and didn't really see him that much until I was in my 20s or my, my, my mid-20s. And I went to, he called me and had moved within a couple of hours of where I lived when we were in our 20s. Uh, and I went to visit him and he was getting his PhD, so it looked like he was getting his life together. He was uh, taking responsibility for himself and moving forward. And I thought, you know, if I don't marry him, I won't know what happens in his life as I do now. And so if I want to be, if I want to know what happens in his life, I'll have to marry him in order to be there. And you know, I, his dad was my school teacher. He was a good father. So I thought Jordan would be a good father. 
and he was interesting and I wanted to be with somebody who was interesting. And so that's how I decided to marry him. He told his dad in grade five that he was going to marry me. So he decided a very long time ago. And I don't know when I learned that. I wasn't that young when I learned that. So it, it wasn't something that I knew about. But he was always there, you know, even when I wasn't seeing him, I was going home. Uh, I lived in Montreal and I was going home to Northern Alberta at Christmas. And he, his, his family lived in, in this little town too. When I got home, it was so often that he would come to see me that I would know within a half an hour of getting home that he would knock on my door. So he was a constant friend. Uh, so he was not easily gotten rid of, I'd say. But by the time I wanted to marry him, he was getting pretty popular with the women. So I thought I better marry him quick. You have to make you move quick. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's that's beautiful. I would love to get your your take on a conversation I had with a friend the other day. We were talking about relationships, um, and I was mentioning to him that I was planning on uh, taking a trip by myself, only somewhere local in Wales, so not out of my own country, but just to another part of the country. And when I told him that I was planning on going by myself, he he couldn't believe it. He thought, well why don't you want to take your girlfriend? He said, I want to be around my girlfriend every second of the day. He said, everything, I don't like being in another room uh, than her. And he couldn't get over this concept that I enjoy time alone from time to time. And I personally think it's, it's important to have separate identities, you know, different interests, have time to yourself. What do you, where do you stand on, on, on that? Are you someone that thinks that it is important to have your own time, your own interests, and, you know, be separate people sometimes rather than a collective? Well, absolutely. I, I agree with that completely. And, um, you know, my husband's been sick over the last two years, so I have been alone for two years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, we've been married for 32 years. We have a very long history and the, we have a lot of things going on. And he wasn't a part of that for the last two years. And I was. And it was good for him to see that I was and everything went all right. Because he might have a tendency to like to control things and to make sure that he's in control of things. And he realized that it wasn't necessarily... Um, it wasn't necessarily... Not just important, but uh, it, there there wasn't anything absolutely that he had to be there for, that things could work out without him being involved. Because I would say he's always wanted to be in, involved in everything. And this gave me an opportunity to be really separate from him. And I think it was really, when, even though it was not a good time in our, in our uh, marriage, it was a really good time for me individually to do whatever I wanted and to also take care of things that I hadn't taken care of before. And I was always somebody when I was a young person to do things on my own and to solve problems on my own without any help, probably to a point where I should have asked for help and didn't ask for help. So I would, I'd take that too far. There's no doubt about it. I, I moved some furniture I could have easily asked people to help me with. But 
um, when you get married, you know, now, nowadays it's hard to know what's your wife's job and what's your job because the uh, sexes now don't have specific jobs in our marriage like they did. And so you have to talk about all of those things. And it's really good to talk about all those things because if you can organize who's doing what, then that gives you even more time that's yours. And it's, it's time when you're alone. I mean, that's when you meditate. That's when you pray. If you don't take that time alone, then when are you going to talk to God? And I talk to God when I'm in nature, mostly. That's where it, and it's really easy for me to find I know introverts are happier in nature than extroverts. Extroverts like to be with people. And your friend might have just been so extroverted. I mean, my daughter, when she was in university, she's very extroverted. She got an apartment, a new apartment, and it only had one bed in it. And she was staying with another girlfriend. And she said, oh, we'll just sleep together. Like that's how much she wanted to be with someone else, that her girlfriend would just be there with her when she went to sleep and when she woke up all the time. And I couldn't imagine wanting to be that close to someone. I, I even actually like to have my own bedroom. Mm -hmm. When we got married, I said, eventually I'd want my own house. I mean, I really like to have my own <laughs> space. And he was, he found that kind of shocking. So, but he's more extroverted than me. So he looks to be with someone, but you know, introverts, uh, they even need more time alone, but have to realize that that time with other people is super important and have to put themselves to, you know, with their partner when, uh, well, to keep their, their relationship, uh, fresh and, and present. But I really like the time I have alone it yesterday, today it's rainy, but yesterday I got up and I was praying and I could, the sun was up and it was reflecting on the water and the trees and the trees reflecting in the water and then someone got in the water and it rippled the reflection. And it was all so beautiful. It was all so beautiful. And to not be paying attention to someone else at that moment, to just be being present, um, there's something magical about that that is that sets me up for the day in a way that allows for uh, a better relationship with the present and, and, uh, and with someone, if they need me, then I'm, instead of thinking about other things, I'm there with them. Yeah. And that's good too. Uh, I know we're running short on our schedule time. I want to be respectful of your time. So there's just, uh, maybe one or two more topics. I want to quickly ask you about the first one. You're clearly such a creative person. Um, the snippets I've seen of your art are, are beautiful. It's obviously something that you you love doing and means a lot to you. What does creativity and just allowing yourself that time to have that creative outlet, what does that do for you on a personal level? I, I feel uh, like I'm not complete if I'm not doing something creative. Oh. Uh, I really, that, that's that got to be part of my day, but it doesn't have to be visual art. Um it doesn't have to be that it can be uh, I'm, as I said, I'm, I've been praying the rosary. I'm going to um, have some conversations with, with uh, good biblical scholars, uh, learning more about what I'm doing 
and that that creative outlet would be what you're doing with the podcast. I mean, those those kind of things would fulfill that yeah. for me. But I think when we don't do that creative work, uh, it comes out some way or another. And it can either come out positively or come out negatively if we're trying to snuff it out and not, uh, if we're trying to avoid it and stuff, it, it'll still come out. It just won't be a, a positive uh, interaction with our uh, environment. Mm. You mentioned that you went on tour with Jordan and listened to all of his lectures. I'm sure you had a great time with that. And I remember being in university myself, I actually spent a lot of my time uh, neglecting my actual studies and watching a lot of Jordan's lectures on YouTube. Um, in fact, I always used to tell my flatmates that um, my professor wasn't my lecturer, Jordan Peterson was my lecturer. And there was one rule in particular that, that I to this day changed my life. And that is that to treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping that had a, a massive impact on me and it it does every day is it's in my mind when i make decisions but turning it to you is there a particular rule for life or a lesson that you've listened to you know jordan speak about loads of times that have that has a that resonates with you quite deeply is there one in particular that sticks out probably clean up your own room before you criticize mm. the world would be yeah. a good one and uh, that can be as, you know, that clean up your own room before you criticize the world. That can just be in your conversations around your neighborhood, you know, the, the people who are bent on trying to uh, save the planet mm. before they have manage to be mature in their own relationships and take care of uh, what is theirs it is a very well it's it's sad because there is because i can see the frustration and i know that the frustration is because they're trying to solve problems that they don't have any control over hmm. and that they've they've moved on past themselves to do something else. And that means that that divine part of themselves is languishing. And you don't know how many of those things have to happen before the world really starts to suffer. And so really, I think there would be a lot of goodness if people would come back to themselves and spend the time that's necessary to put the, put themselves in order uh, and, and uh, before they, uh, you know, go off to school and criticize the education that they're getting, even though when they're at home, they're not even reading the course material. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big one. When I was in massage school, and I was quite a bit older when I went to massage school, it's only a two-year program. It's, you know, very quick. And people were complaining about the program. And I said, you know, you're here for two years to get your license. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on that. The school can take care of itself. So, it was, you know, but when sometimes when you're doing something and you're finding it challenging, you, you can focus on 
you can focus on who wrote the book and if they wrote it very well, instead of trying to get an understanding of what was written. Uh, I had a friend, he's no longer with us. He, he ended his life when he was 40. He was uh, a very complicated and, and uh, troubled person, but he came to live with Jordan and I when we had a little girl. We had Michaela. She was only one or two when he lived with us. Uh, I was pregnant with my son and it worried me that I was living with this guy because he was, I could feel his trouble in the room. And one day I came home and he had been cooking. Uh, he had been babysitting for me and he was cooking lunch and it was on the stove burning while he was fixing the uh, foot of the stove. So he was there. Yeah. He was there, but he wasn't present. Yeah. Yeah. And it had to do with resentment for being doing something that he didn't think maybe it was below him, what he mm -hmm. thought was, you know, these are complicated things, but sometimes when you're not paying attention, there's something else that's going on that is veering you off this path that you have to stay on present so that you don't burn down the house, for instance. Yeah. I have uh, two questions left that we ask everyone that comes on the show, regardless of the topic. The first one, are there any books that you've read throughout your life that have had a massive impact on you and who you are today? Well, the big book of AA is a good one. That's a good one. That's had quite an impact on me recently. Um, you know, I read The Light on Yoga. Uh, Iyengar's Light on Yoga. I started reading that, you know, 40 years ago. And I followed his, uh, he has three courses in the back of the book. And I followed those courses for the first, I don't know, 20, 30 years of my life. That had a huge, con that had a huge impact on me too. So I would say yoga and AA. And now the Bible. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly on, on the Bible. Um, would you say that even for those people who aren't religious, have no religious affiliation, is there things that they can get from reading the Bible? Well, um, there's, I have an app. I have an app that I put on my phone for daily reading. Yeah. And um, it's called the common prayer. It's called a common prayer. And it gives you a reading a day. Uh, it gives you a psalm to read. It gives you a, a, a lecture. So you get, you get some commentary on it. And it gives you some prayers. And I think even if you don't understand it, if you begin to read it, um, if you make it a practice, the thing is, like yoga or AA, because it's a daily practice, it's a 24-hour practice, that AA program, and yoga, that's a daily practice. And the rosary, that's a daily practice. I think if you can set up a daily practice, I didn't know anything. Pick up a rosary and start to pray and see what happens if you pray every day. If you just take that time that it takes 
to pray and it's and you pray out loud so you pray out loud it has something to do with regular regular it, it makes our breathing regular these prayers make our breathing regular it's not just because i i did yoga for a very long time and i chanted and i meditated and i did all of that but i'm finding the same uh regulation of my breath in our own christian readings and um although i still do yoga uh and i really i really the visualization that i've learned from my practice well i'm an artist so maybe that's why it seemed important to me but now learning i i really feel like i have a responsibility that's probably from listening to george but i feel like i have a responsibility to learn uh what i can about the bible and um my daughter told me recently that she's begun to read the bible every day and she's much calmer and she doesn't have a history of of uh, religion except for what she's learned from my husband and i wouldn't say that that's much because she has i don't know how much she's listened to him you know when it's your father it's not as likely that you're going to listen um so unless you're there in the crowd i mean i don't know how much i would have listened if i hadn't been there in the crowd but i was there so i listened um uh, and it's a practice though it has to be done uh regularly as regularly as you can make it and then you start to uh, you start to reap the benefits of that practice and the other thing i found just quickly is you know we've been through real bad chaos in the last couple of years i was so sick he's so sick and we had a ritual in our relationship that we would have a date when we had first had kids and the and i was so busy with my kids my husband was lonely because he didn't have the attention that he was used to having being somebody who liked to have someone around all the time like your friend and i suggested that we schedule dates and he said well that would take the spontane spontaneity out of uh the date and i said well you know when we weren't married we scheduled dates in order to be together we'll just continue that in our married life and so we did we had dates three times a week sometimes it meant we were having tea together sometimes it meant we, but we weren't answering the phone and we weren't looking at our email we were being present with each other is all it meant present go for a walk something that we did together that ritual even though we've been estranged strange from each other for two years more than two years now totally estranged uh no communication really to speak of because george was not around and when i was in the hospital i was not around um now that we're together again we even though it, it takes time to put our relationship back together we had that practice of having regular dates and that came back the quickest of anything so that's amazing i didn't yeah. know that would happen that's amazing so ritual and practice man there is there is nothing i don't think more important than that and i've been through where everything was going to disappear you know i've i've had this has been a real trial what we've been through and what came out was the things that we practiced regularly or that's what survived of of everything that we may have shared you know and walking 
walking together because he was walking daily for a very, very long time. Walking is another thing. And so these, you know, whatever you can do in your life, uh, whatever you can practice, I would say, will enhance your relationship uh, with your with God and with the person that you're practicing it with. Yeah. Amazing. What a wonderful lesson. Um, uh-huh. That brings us perfectly as we start to wind down now with the last question I have for you that I ask every guest. This could be, the answer could be anything. It could be your family. It could be your friends. It could be God. It could be anything you like. For Tammy Peterson right now, what makes a life worth living? Well, for 24 hours, for a day, if I have been helpful in any way, one way, every day, that makes life worth living. Uh, And it usually, you know, the thing is, it's not just that you've helped someone and maybe you've, you know, maybe you've also helped yourself to be a better person in a day. Those, those, that, that kind of striving for more understanding and more clarity, that's what makes life worth living as far as I'm concerned. Beautiful. So for all our listeners now who've enjoyed hearing you talk, I certainly have. Where else could they find you? Are you anywhere online? Is, are there any other um, works or talks of yours you'd like to direct them to if they want to hear more from yourself? Well, I'm going to be speaking with people about the rosary mm. and I'll put them on uh, my own YouTube channel and also, I'll let, you know, they can have it on their YouTube channel. So uh, I'm going to try to do that weekly starting soon. Oh. And uh, I'm hoping to bring uh, when we go, if we go on tour in January, if that's what seems to be what society and God want for our, you know, our, our world going forward. I'll, I'll continue that while we go on tour and we'll see what comes of that. Amazing. Well, I look forward to that. I can't wait to hear, hear more about it. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like I could listen to you talk all day. So it was an absolute pleasure to have you and thank you so much. Well, you're, you're very sweet. I like talking to you. It's really <laughs> nice really nice amazing well i hope we can do it again sometime there's so many other things i'd love to talk to you about and you are that'd be a pleasure you're certainly welcome back anytime oh thank you well thank you so much for listening to this episode of the freedom pact podcast i hope you'll join us again next time and between then please consider checking us out on youtube where all these podcast episodes are uploaded in video format. That is youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pact for all the video episodes, plus clips of our highlights and best bits. Subscribing to our channel on YouTube is the best way you can help support the show. Once again, that YouTube channel name is Freedom Pact. We hope to see you again, and thank you for listening.